All of it is supported by Missouri, makers of handcrafted jewelry that's made to last. Looking for the perfect Mother's Day present? Missouri has you covered. Get free shipping on all orders in the U.S. and Canada, plus a two-year warranty. Head to Missouri.com slash all of it or use code all of it for 10% off your first order. That's M-E-J-U-R-I dot com slash all of it. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Our next guest's new novel looks at the life of one writer whose works continue to be a source of inspiration to this day, centuries after they were published. The novel, Miss Austen, looks at the life of the famed author Jane Austen, told through the lens of her older sister, Cassandra. Set in 1840, more than 20 years after Jane's passing, the book offers a fictional take on why Jane's sister burned almost all of her correspondence, a debate topic among Austenophiles. The narrative tells us this in the book, both she and Jane had once written many intimate letters to this vicarage. They could still be there. Cassandra was the executor of her sister's estate, the keeper of her flame, the protector of her legacy. In the time that was left to her, she was determined to find and destroy any evidence that might compromise Jane's reputation. It was simply imperative that those letters did not fall into the wrong hands. Miss Austin was initially released in the UK in January to excellent reviews and comes out here in the States on April 7th. Author Jill Hornby joins us now from the village of Kintbury, where the novel is also set. Jill, welcome to all of it. Thank you for having me. So from your research, how has Jane Austen's personal life normally been described? What's the conventional wisdom about Jane Austen's life? Well, because the family did such a sort of cleaning up job um, after she was dead, her life is always portrayed as utterly uneventful, very quiet, nothing happened. Um, According to the family memoir, no events disturbed the smooth current of its course. And um, they were able to do that. You know, in those days, you could quite easily destroy the evidence of a person's life um, because it was all written down. You know, now we leave traces of ourselves all over the place and we meet far (laughs) too many people. But somebody like Jane, she didn't know that many people. She had a big family, but she lived in a little village. She didn't travel very much. Um, What was known about, I mean, her only sort of exchanges and her confidences were either given verbally to her family and friends or written down in letters. Um, And Cassandra, who uh, was the closest person to her on this earth, they wrote hundreds of letters to each other over there, thousands probably, Mm. over Jane's lifetime. And um, Cassandra outlived her by over 20 years, as you said. And it is a matter of family records that in the last three years, she sat down with all the correspondence that they shared, all the ones Cassandra had written back and all those that Jane had, had written to her. Cassandra destroyed all of hers in her own voice. And she left just 161 of the ones that Jane wrote to her, which is nothing in the context of a 19th century lifetime, absolutely nothing. And of the ones that are left, what all we can know is that Cassandra did not mind us reading them, that there's Hmm. nothing in there that Cassandra didn't mind us knowing. So what my novel is, is really an exploration of what it was that she was cutting out. So Cassandra did quite an edit. 
It sounds like. Yeah, she is. She was a very bright woman. I mean, they were a very clever family. Jane obviously was a genius and and a writer, you know, a genius writer. She changed the face of the English novel. But Cassandra was a very clever woman and um, Jane trusted her completely and she was her literary executor, as you said. She was also the person she ra- Jane ran all the novels by, you know. She really trusted her literary judgment. And she was a very thorough woman. She was... She was the eldest sister, so she is the Miss Austen of the title. Jane would always have been known as Miss Jane Austen um, then. Cassandra was the one, and she was a very typical eldest daughter. You know, she was the better looking. She was more organized. She was more competent. Her mother thought she was a marvel. Jane was a slightly more kind of difficult, awkward presence. But Cassandra was sort of the one, you know, and... um, and they, there were were the only two, they were the only two girls, right, of eight kids? There was a big, it was a big yeah, family. Yeah, six brothers and just the two girls in this sort of puddle of boys. Um, and the boys all went off to have amazing lives. Um, two admirals of the fleet um, and a banker in London and a, a, a one who became a landed gentleman. A couple of vicars thrown in there because they always had to have a, have a few vicars. And the girls... <laughs> Neither of them married. They were always hard up all their lives. They lived in little cottages. They depended on their brother's handouts. They had a very different existence. Although, without anybody knowing it, Jane was, of course, changing the world in her own little way. Was there anything unconventional about the Austin sisters' relationship? No. Not at all. No, I don't think so. They were just... You know, by force of circumstance, they were incredibly close. As mm. I say, they were, they were in this sea of brothers. They were always together. They were only three, born three years apart. Um, their eldest brother was sort of 10 years older and the youngest was seven years younger. So it was a huge spread. And then, um, and they should, by rights, have both married and gone off to their lives and probably just written to each other for the rest of their lives, because that's what 19th century marriage entailed. And Cassandra did get engaged. She made this very nice match mm. to the son of their best friend, who indeed lived in the house that I live in. Um, and then tragedy intervened, and it was all very terrible. And that really is the event on which Jane's life turned, because if Cassandra had married, then Jane would have had to have married too, because she didn't have a, a penny to her name, Jane. Um, and so she'd have had to have married the first sort of ghastly creature that came along, really. And it would have been no Mr. Darcy, because she wasn't particularly good looking, and she always said the wrong thing. And she saw straight through people, especially through straight through pompous 19th century men. And something that pompous 19th century men don't find attractive is a woman who sees straight, straight through them. So she would have made a pretty grim match, I think, and she would have had a hard life. She'd have died in childbirth, probably, but before that, it would have been a, there would have been a quite a lot of domestic hardship, and she probably would, she wouldn't have written a book. She wouldn't have written more than a letter. But together, they were safe together. Their brothers had to support them, and Cassandra really acted like her wife, you know, her manager. She ran the house and and encouraged Jane's writing. My guest is Jill Hornby. The name of her new novel is Miss Austen. You open the book with a quote from Jane Austen's novel, Persuasion, and this is the quote. 
Men have had every advantage of us in telling their own story. The pen has been in their hands. Why did yeah. you want to open with this quote? Well, because, I mean, it's just the most brilliant sentence, isn't it? My novel isn't just about Jane, but it's about all of those silent women of history. You know, history is the record of men and great men and people who have the time to write things down and to make their views known and whose bits of paper were cherished after their death. You know, their diaries, their correspondence, their books. Women, the sort of women that I'm writing about, women who never married, which was a huge number of women in those times, and they had really tricky lives because they almost you know, you never had any money, and and you had to find your way through. Your purpose was to get married. Your purpose that was to have children. If you didn't do that, you had to live on your wits, really, and find your way through and somehow survive. And there's no record of them. They're all silent in history. And and Cassandra, you know, is is a woman who destroyed every evidence of her own voice. We just have a couple of letters that she wrote to cousins that, that made it through. So it is about really, my, my novel is about Jane and Cassandra, really because they're such amazing examples of, of women who had nothing going for them in that time and how life was so against them and they had their destinies stolen from them. And it's telling their stories in their voice. I'd love to have you read an excerpt from one of the letters. And this one is in the voice of Jane Austen, and it's addressed to her soon-to-be sister-in-law, Eliza. This is, of course, before tragedy befalls. And it's discussing Cassandra, who's known as Cassie. And it's about her engagement. Okay. It goes, my dear Eliza, you must find it in your heart to forgive the tardiness of my reply to your letter. The truth is that our once peaceful rectory has lately been consumed by such a riot of celebration that it's hard to find a quiet place in which one can write. I have just now crawled into the corner of the dressing room, which for the moment at least is mercifully free of members of my family noisily embracing and shedding tears of pure happiness. And I have shut the door firmly in the vain hope of keeping the rioters at bay. Really, Eliza, there is so much joy and delight about us to make me feel quite sick and wicked. I cannot quite remember how I once passed my time in the days before my sister's engagement, but it appears that from now on nothing more is required of me than to congratulate others as often as my poor breath will allow. Then when I have finished, it seems, I have to start all over again, and it occurs to me that before I die from the exhaustion of it all, I should be congratulating you too, my dear Eliza. After all, once this momentous wedding has finally taken place, then Cassie will be a foul, and you will share with me the honor of calling her your sister. And you cannot know what delights her in store. She is the best, the cleverest, the kindest, and most caring sister on this earth. And should you occasionally be minded to say something witty, I guarantee that she will laugh until she is spent. Of course, our insufferably happy couple must suffer a long engagement. A curate must always be patient, a curate's bride even more so. Economy is as ever a war with romance. But one day Tom's luck must change and they will be wed. I shall be so pleased for them then, but more than a little sorry for myself. 
because there is a downside to this perfect arrangement, and I should not dare to mention such a possibility in the hearing of my triumphant family. It is that I now have to somehow live without her. So felicitations to you, Eliza, and to all the Fowl family, for you are the victors. Yes, we have the comfort of knowing that Cass will always be happy, but you will have her, and she is the best of us, close by you always. Do look after her. She is so precious to me. Yours. That is from the novel Miss Austin by my guest Jill Hornby. Now, just to be clear, these letters, some of the letters that you write in the book, they are your reimagining of Jane's? Yes, I've made them all up. Every letter in this book I've made up, which was a slightly bold thing to do, I must say. (laughs) But um, yeah, I filled in the gaps and it was quite terrifying getting started on it. But Oddly, um, once I'd started, I couldn't shut her up. I mean, it, I, was, I deleted an awful lot before I got going because the idea of writing anything in the voice of Jane Austen and also having her walk about and think and talk and stuff um, was quite intimidating. Uh, she gave me a gift, which is that in one of her first ever letters to Cathy, she said something like, I think I've got the hang of this letter writing. You have to write as if you're sitting there talking to the person, you know, next to you. And I thought, okay, well, I'll take your word for it. If that's how you say you talked, then I'll, then I'll create your voice from that. So um, that's what I did. And I seem to have got away with it. As you were writing and you were thinking about her voice, was there something that you wanted to capture about her or something you wanted us to understand about her? Um, well, I think one thing I wanted to to be made clear about her is that she was a lot more complicated than people think she was. Mm-hmm. The thing about, you know, what where Cassandra did the brilliant job is she ironed out all the wrinkles. And I think there were a lot of wrinkles, you know, no way was she um, utterly moodless. As, as the family tries to suggest. For a start, she was a brilliant writer, a creative genius, and for eight years of her life, she literally couldn't write at all because times were so hard and they didn't have a kind of fixed roof over their heads. And she was very disturbed by that. But that's all been absolutely brushed away by the editing job. So that's one thing. And the other thing was, the um, I mean, what she has, and what she gets from her mother, I think, of which we have a lot of evidence her mother's writing, is this facility of for words, so it sort of trips. You know, her her words trip along, and everything's kind of witty. They, her, she skates over the page, you know. Um, so, so that was what I sort of tried to get. Nothing serious. My guest is Jill Hornby. The name of her novel is Miss Austen. You said in a recent interview that Cassandra Austen was, quote, the midwife of the novels. You alluded to this earlier yeah. in our interview. What don't people realize about Cassandra's role and her sister's success? Well, what they don't realize, I mean, a lot of people have never heard of her, fair enough. Um, and, and when I first came to her, I knew the novel backwards, but I knew nothing about the life. If they know anything at all, they know, they know that she burnt the letters, and therefore they hate her, because um, people now think we have a right to know absolutely everything. You know, if we love somebody's work, um, that, that equals success, equals fame, equals, okay, now you have to share the lot. Um, and so Cassandra's never been forgiven for that. Of course, what she did is would entirely 
um, see what Jane had wanted. Because Jane chose to be published anonymously in her own lifetime. She didn't even tell various family members that the novel they were reading across the drawing room was by her. You know, that's how private she was. So no way would she be selling her secrets to us weekly or anything. She would not be that sort of celebrity. <laughs> and she would be extremely kind of user-unfriendly if she was if she was publishing now. So Cassandra's never been forgiven for that. And so she's always been cast as a baddie and um, the, less, the lesser sister, the less interesting one, the less this, the less that. The truth is, from the letters that we've got, you do see their relationship and you see that Jane worshipped her. She was her elder sister. She looked up to her enormously. She had her on a pedestal. And as character references go, you know, that's a pretty good one because Jane was not a sufferer of fools. She did not. <laughs> she was extremely conscious of the frailties of others. And she thought Cassandra was pretty perfect. So um, I really wanted to defend her, I think, because mm. that's what I wanted to do. Now, you and Cassandra have something in common. You both have siblings who are writers, and people have probably yes, been thinking to themselves, <laughs> the name yeah. of Hornby, Hornby, someone who's actually been a guest on this show. Your brother is Nick Hornby. <laughs> He's been there. He's been everywhere. Did, you know, just being related to another writer, you're both writers, um, give you perspective on, on a sibling relationship like Cassandra and Jane? Absolutely. And, um, you know, Nick hit big literary success in his 30s, as did my husband, who's a writer called Robert Harris. They both kind of hit the big time with their novels at the same time. Um, when we were in our 30s, we're much older now. I'm a very late developer in our family. <laughs> but, yes, I've, been, I've put up with being considered the less interesting sibling and spouse, actually for the last 30 years so I do know exactly what it's like and when I read the family memoir which was all about how Jane was a perfect saintly marvellous figure with no flaws or faults whatsoever and Cassandra was a bit joyless and boring and all this I just I just got so cross on her behalf because she had so much going for her but of course the one thing she didn't do was die young. Jane died when she was 41. And it was a terrible blow to the whole family, you know. Um, Cassandra limped on into her 70s, turning into an old woman, and therefore a much less attractive proposition than somebody stolen from you in in her prime. So I think she got a very bad map from her um, family. so I wanted to just go in there on her behalf. I know what it's like, you know, I know what it's like that people think, oh, so you're not the success, you're Nick Hornby's sister, so you're not the successful one. Then I pity, you know, you get this kind of pitying look as if I hmm. don't have a completely rewarding life of my own. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell your tongue is planted firmly in your cheek as you speak. <laughs> <laughs> The name of the novel, the well-received, critically acclaimed novel, Miss Austin, <laughs> is written by Jill Hornby. Jill Hornby. Jill, thank you for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. All of it is supported by Missouri, makers of handcrafted, ethically sourced jewelry for every day that's made to last. Looking for the perfect Mother's Day present? Missouri has taken the guesswork out of gifting offering everything from dainty 14K solid gold pieces to pearls, diamonds, gemstones, and more. 
Make it personal with an engraving, or if you can't decide, check out their curated gift guide. Let them take care of the rest, gift wrapping included. Get free shipping on all orders in the U.S. and Canada, plus easy returns and a two-year warranty. Head to Missouri.com slash all of it or use code all of it for 10% off your first order. That's M-E-J-U-R-I dot com slash all of it.